Good evening, everybody. If you've got your uh, Bible with you, we'll be in Psalm 48 tonight. Psalm 48. A couple of uh, uh, quick announcements, and then we'll get started. That'll give everybody a moment to find their place. Um, Sunday is Vision Sunday, and uh, so we're excited about that. Looking forward to uh, that part of the service, of course. the first part of the service will be concluding our series on the Ten Commandments, and then the last ten minutes or so of the morning worship, we will take care of uh, the vision portion and, and explain uh, or uh, define for you what is the, the intent behind the new theme and how we expect uh, to see the Lord use that. Uh, we also have a busy uh, remainder, remainder of the week, so tomorrow... Uh, we have families for families uh, here. Uh, that's a luncheon, and they are uh, that organization. That's the largest Christian fostering organization in the state of Georgia, and uh, they were looking to make some church contacts in this area. So uh, we just preside, pro- provided the facility, and we invited pastors we knew, and they've invited pastors they know. So there'll be that type of event. Uh, however, uh, I think that the program is prepared for 40 or so people, and I don't think we have that many coming. So if you are interested in foster family work and you need a good free lunch tomorrow, I'll be here around 11 o'clock, and we'll, we'll take care of both of those things. Uh, and in conjunction with that, we need some help tonight. Uh, we're going to set that um, banquet up in here and so if several of you guys could help us before the night is before you leave tonight we need to remove all of the chairs in here except for about 60 and we'll take all of them into the choir room and stack them there and then if anybody is available Friday uh, midday or thereabouts if you will reach out to brother Derek he's going to need help resetting the room um of course, Carla and I have a visitation for her granddad's funeral tomorrow night. We have that funeral Friday. Saturday, we have Miss Mickey's uh, memorial service here, celebration of life. And so uh, it's a busy, busy few days, but uh, we hope to see you at several of those events. And uh, I'm excited about Miss Mickey's celebration of life. I think that uh, that's really going to be a blessed time. Um, uh, she was a special lady and she wanted us to celebrate, and so we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a good time, and uh, I hope that you can be here and be a part of that. All right, Psalm 48 is our psalm tonight. Psalm 48, let's just go ahead and read all 14 verses, beginning in verse 1. Uh, you'll notice the title is a giveaway for us. This is another song or psalm of the sons of Korah. Verse 1 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled, and they passed by together. They saw it, and they so marveled, they were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them and pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish. 
with an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of God, of our God, God will establish it forever, Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple, According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion, go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generations following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our God even unto death. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Lord, we thank you for this good night and thank you for these that are here. And Lord, for your blessings, for your mercy, for your kindness and for your goodness. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we study from this psalm tonight, as we seek encouragement and enlightenment, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would provide that through the work of the scripture. Lord, I pray you'd be with us as we go into our prayer time, as we uh, lift up the name of those in need and exalt the name of Christ, Lord, and we pray for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 48. So uh, this is another hymn psalm or praise psalm. Indeed, it is a song of Zion. Uh, you'll remember we spoke a couple of weeks ago. Uh, 46 and 48 are very similar, and they surround Psalm 47. They are both looking towards the subject or the object of praise in Psalm 47. We'll say a little more about that in a moment. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, speaking of this psalm, uh, said... A song for joyfulness and a psalm for reverence. Alas, every song is not a, a psalm, for poets are not all heaven-born, and every psalm is not a song, for in coming before God we have to utter mournful confessions as well as exalting praises. That's a quote from Spurgeon concerning this psalm. He would uh, classify this psalm as an exultant praise. He's saying that all are not that way, but this one is. Uh, when we think about a theme, it uh, should be pretty obvious. It is a song of Zion. It's speaking of Zion. I can glance over the psalm uh, here in front of me and see Zion three or four times just immediately. So we recognize that that is the primary subject uh, therein, or should I should say uh, the God of Zion. Uh, the psalm praises Jerusalem as a type of visible manifestation of the reign of God. The city was glorious and awesome, and God made it secure. There, God's people think on his love. So what do you suppose, um, what would that tell you? If we say that's the theme, if we say that because of the magnified state of Jerusalem when this psalm was written, uh, when this psalmist, in his mind, the magnified state, the glorified state, and that when people were in that city, uh, they think on the love of God. Do you suppose that has any implications other than the historical present? Would it be looking at Jerusalem today? 
Do you think the people in Jerusalem today think on the love of God? Is Jerusalem today a walled city with bulwarks and towers and palaces in which dwelleth the, the Lord God? So I think that we would be able to say, okay, we can see there's a historical present for this. There is a time when the psalmist wrote the psalm that he was looking at the city of Jerusalem and those were the impressions that he had. But I think we could also say that it looks forward to the, the city of Zion, the, the kingdom uh, city of Zion or the heavenly city of Zion. Uh, and so we see both in that and I think that's, that's a, a kind of a theme over these last several psalms. When we think about the time uh, of this psalm, this is like we have been speaking of. There's a number of historical events that it could have had it could have surrounded, I would place it within the limits of the previous two psalms. So either uh, Hezekiah's kingdom or Jehoshaphat's kingdom. One of those, I would imagine. Uh, the, the, the quote that I have here is from Matthew Poole. He says, uh, the psalm was composed upon the occasion of some imminent deliverance vouchsafed by God to the city of Jerusalem from some potent enemy and dreadful danger, either that in Jehoshaphat's time, Second uh, Chronicles 20, which we read last week, or that under Hezekiah, Second Kings 18 and 19, which we read two weeks ago. Uh, he uh, goes on to say, or I should say MacDonald says, a foreigner invaded, a foreign invader had come up to the very gates of Jerusalem, Inside, the people were expecting the agonies of a long siege. Humanly speaking, the prospects were bleak. Then the Lord worked a miracle. The enemy saw something that threw them into utter panic, and they retreated in terror. Jerusalem was preserved from destruction, and a great wave of praise went up to God. Psalm 48 captures something of the ecstasy of that moment. Uh, and you could read that as we talked about how they saw it in verse 5. In verse 4, it says the kings were assembled. They passed together. Verse 5, they saw it, so they marveled. In the end of verse 5, they were troubled and hasted away. Verse 6, fear took hold upon them and pain uh, like the travail of a woman. And so uh, I think that that's what MacDonald is referring to. And indeed, when he uh, entitles this psalm, he entitles it, What Did They See? Uh, he envisions uh, this, this uh, trembling of these kings when they saw what was spiritually evident in protection over the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Uh, when we think about a thesis of the psalm, if we were looking for a common theme or a thesis uh, to, to bring it down to a summary statement, um, uh, the, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, A song about Zion, the city of God, the great king, in praising God who loves Jerusalem, the psalmist sang of the city's glory and security because the Lord delivered it from an enemy. On the basis of this, he offered praise to God. I think that's a pretty, pretty good summary. Uh, another stated that, uh, Jameson Fawcett uh, states that it sets forth the privileges and blessings of God's spiritual dominion as the terror of the wicked, terror of the wicked, and the joy of the righteous. Um, so I think that we've stated that already. The penmen or the sons of Korah 
Uh, some titles that, that we look at. Guzik entitles this, The Lord's Praiseworthiness. Uh, Ligonier entitles this, The City of God. Uh, Enduring Word entitles it, The City of the Great King. Um, the uh, Matthew Henry entitles it, The Glories of the Church of Christ. And, uh, and so, of course, we understand that Matthew Henry sees this as a representation of the church. Um, McDonald entitles it, What Did They See? McGee uh, entitles it, The Messiah's Final Victory on Earth. That tells us that McGee sees this as a millennial psalm. Um, Scroge entitles this, Broken Bondage, uh, which again goes with the theme. And Phillips, uh, When the Drums of War Are Stilled. And so all of them are, all of these guys are on the same page. Uh, that's always comforting. That's what, what, what I call being in good company, and uh, we want to be there. Um, and then I want to read to you a statement that we had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and then we'll look at uh, the way I see this psalm. The sequence of Psalms 46 through 48 means that two songs of Zion, 46 and 48, surround Psalm 47. An explicit proclamation of God's world-encompassing kingship. The arrangement is almost certainly intentional, and it solidifies the symbolic significance of Zion as a witness to God's universal sovereignty because God claims the world and all its people. God can be trusted to be a powerful, protecting presence. That from uh, the working preacher. Not me, another working preacher. Uh, so uh, I think that we have kind of picked up that theme over these last three psalms, and I think we can kind of revel in that a little bit. Uh, when I look at this psalm, uh, I, I see a song uh, for certain, a song of praise, a hymn of worship, an anthem of glory. It appears to me to be composed of three stanzas, a bridge, and, and a redundant chorus. If I were... Uh, we're attempting to assign it to some musical format. Uh, I would see uh, verses 1 through 3 as the first verse or first stanza, verse 8 as a chorus. And then I would see uh, the second stanza, verses 4 through 7, with verse 8 again as the chorus. The third stanza as verses 9 through 11, a bridge in verses 12 through 14, and a final chorus of verse 8. If you read it like that, and that's not easy for you to do in your Bible, but it's pretty easy when you cut and paste it, uh, it lays out just like a song. In fact, there are multitude, there, I say a multitude, there were three or four different versions of it that I found out there that people were singing. I found them after uh, I laid that out, and that's basically how they were singing it, so I think it's the way it's laid out. I think it's designed that way. Uh, most, uh, some of those songs only consist of the first two verses, and you've, you've heard that refrain. Uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, right? That you've heard that refrain. Uh, so there is, uh, this psalm is sung in the first two verses. Uh, there's many examples using six verses, which is cherry picking down through the psalm. And again, if you heard it you, and you were reading this psalm, it matches perfectly. And then there's some that use all the verses, but in a summary, they summarize what they say. So uh, that's kind of how I see it. If I were going to entitle this psalm, I would entitle it God, Our Deliverance. God, Our Deliverance. And um, I would see it in four sections. Uh, 
Our God, the great refuge of Zion, would be uh, my first. And I would see that in the first uh, three verses. Uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. That word situation there uh, in your King James, uh, you might read it elevation. Uh, you might uh, interpret it as location or placement. That's what he means. It's beautifully situated. It's in a beautiful place. It looks beautiful. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of that great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. So this concept begs the question, what is Zion? Or if you prefer, where is Zion? We could also appropriately say, who is Zion? And we have a reasonable response to all three questions. Literally, the location and the definition of physical Zion are one and the same. Zion is the city of David. It is the, the capital city of Israel. It's Jerusalem. That's Zion. Uh, there is a millennial Zion as well. And uh, there's a heavenly uh, Zion. And so we could see them all in this. As for uh, that location, historically speaking, God was the refuge of that great city until their disobedience led to a, massive, a great discipline. And, and it did. As for who is Zion, well, then we must again see that Physically speaking, we're speaking of the Jews or the nation of Israel. And God has kept a remnant, remnant of Israel and will one day restore that remnant rightfully. Don't ever, uh, at least not uh, around me anyway, assume that Israel is gone or the Jew is gone. They are not gone. Uh, nobody has replaced them. Nobody is going to replace them. The church is not Israel and you and I are not the new Jew. Uh, that is not how that goes. Uh, they will be uh, restored. There is a remnant even today. We're just not aware of it. And then there's also a spiritual representation of Zion as that heavenly city or uh, the future home of the redeemed. And so uh, we can see some relation to that. This is the point. It, whether we uh, define Zion physically, or whether we design that, uh, define it as a people, or whether we define it spiritually, this psalm is a praise. This is the perspective that will get you home. God is the refuge of the redeemed. That's what it's saying. He is the refuge of the redeemed. God is great, He is worthy of our praise. He is perfectly situated to provide refuge for all who will worship and adore Him. In Him is the joy of all the earth. He is the stronghold of the redeemed and our safe place. That's the first few verses there. That's what he's saying. Now you can see them physically relative to the nation of Israel. You can see them uh, uh, prophetically relative to the millennial or you can see it as speaking of God being the refuge of the redeemed today. The, the second uh, section of this psalm I would see would be verses 4 through 7. And I would say this, our God, the great troubler of the enemy, the great troubler 
of the enemy. He says there in verse 4, For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it. And so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them and pain as of a woman in travail. And then he says, uh, speaking of God's power, thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. Obviously here the psalmist is talking about a legitimate enemy, a legitimate foe, a legitimate attacker or invader. And again, uh, we know that uh, Hezekiah's uh, enemy was defeated by the angel of the Lord. Jehoshaphat's uh, uh, enemy was defeated by the angel of the Lord, turning them upon one another. And so we can see that in reality. And in, this, this, in these verses, what we catch is a glimpse of the assembled but perplexed enemy. They, they came with an evil desire. They came with murderous intentions. They came with a wicked plan. And when they saw it, the psalmist says, well, what did they see? Now, this is what we know. They believed what they were going to see was, uh, pardon the, the colloquialism, easy pickings. That's what they thought. They thought this is going to be a pushover. This is going to be easy. We've bowled over all these other nations and all of their gods have fallen and, and Rabshakeh had been very specific when he was taunting uh, Hezekiah's men about don't think that your God can protect you. Don't. Don't let Hezekiah lie to you. They thought they were going to come and just overrun. Well, it says that when they saw it, they, they marveled and they were troubled and hasted away. What they see? Well, I think they, they saw or they witnessed the power of the great God and the Redeemer of the people. I think in a moment, the strength of the Savior, they witnessed the protection of the perfect. They, they saw this undeniable power, this uh, undeniable, undefeatable foe, and I think that they were uh, shocked at the sight of it. It says there that they were marveled and troubled. You know, they tell a story, I don't know, but many of you guys, uh, Civil War buffs in here, uh, they tell a story about uh, when... Sherman was marching on Atlanta. And he was coming with the intent to burn everything down. Y'all, you may or may not have heard this. I mean, it's a little bit of a historical thing. I don't want to bore you too bad, but uh, at any rate, when they were approaching the area where Stone Mountain was, uh, there was a rebel standing on top of the mountain yelling down at them and cursing them. And Sherman said, why don't you go up there and get him and make an example out of him. So he sent 10 of his best men up there. And in a little while, they didn't come back. And Sherman said, send another 25 men up there. In a little while, they didn't come back. And then he sent another regiment up there after him. And when they got up there, one ragged Yankee soldier came back. He said, it's a trick, General. There's two of them. <laughs> I got you. Uh, so listen, they were overcome. These enemies came with these awful desires. Look, the world has awful intentions for the church. Satan and, and the flesh and the world system that we're in has awful intentions. And we look, 
vulnerable and we are outside of Christ. We look weak and we are outside of Christ. We'll just be pushed over and we could outside of Christ. But when the enemy comes, if we are in the refuge, the refuge of our great God, they see it, they marvel, they tremble, they fear, and they retreat. That's what this passage is saying. They saw it, they marveled, they were troubled, they ran away, they were consumed in fear, they felt the pain of travail, they felt the impact of the sovereign, they melted when they met him. God is a great refuge of the redeemed because he is the great troubler of the enemy. As I was preparing this, I thought about Psalm 112 and we read, we read that often, but uh, there in Psalm 112, it says, I will lift mine eyes up to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. sleep, sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is the shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth even forevermore. Do you know why we fall prey? Because we get outside of the Lord. Uh, we fall into uh, sin and we fall into derision and we fall into distraction and we become uh, byproducts and waste products because we get outside of the Lord. If we would stay in Christ, stay in the Word, and stay in the Lord, uh, we are in a great refuge and the enemy is troubled. Verses uh, 8 I see is that, that chorus, that, that redundant chorus. And I think that what it says is that our God is the great foundation of Zion. He is the great foundation. As we have heard, the psalmist says, So we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Think on that. Meditate on that. Consider that. Selah. That God is the, the great foundation of Zion. All throughout the scriptures and this is not completely hermeneutically correct, but you'll give me a little bit of, of, of pardon here, I suppose. God is the foundation. All throughout the scriptures, he is the cornerstone. He is the rock. Paul says he's the rock from which the water came. He is that rock. He is the stone cut out with hands that Daniel sees, that great smiting stone. He is the stumbling stone. All of those analogies speak of his centrality to the redeemed and to redemption. He is the one upon which we can depend. He's the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. In fact, he is the sacrifice that confirms the covenant. It's in God. It's him. He is the, the great foundation of Zion. It's upon him that we are established. And I'm thankful that my salvation and my redemption and my eternality and my supernal abode, if you will, all rest upon him and his work and his word. He is the great foundation of Zion. He's worthy to be praised. He is the great foundation of redemption. 
And God is uh, the great refuge of Zion. He is the great troubler of the enemy. He is the great foundation of Zion. And these last few verses, verses 9 through 14, tell us that our God is the great guide. He is the great guide. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion, go around about her, and tell the towers of her, and mark of her, uh, mark ye well her bulwarks, and consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generations that follow. For this God is our God forever and ever, and what is he? He will be our God unto death. He is our God. In these final verses, this is that bridge and that last stanza, as it were, we're reminded of the wonderful attributes of God, that he is gracious and loving kindness, that he is praiseworthy, that he is righteous, yea, even filled with righteousness, that he is our strength and our deliverance, as is seen in his right hand, that he is the judge, and in that judgment we can be glad. And then we see his accomplishments. We see that holy city of Zion, and, and we see all that he has built, the towers and the bulwarks and the palaces, and that speaks of readiness and defense and royalty. And lastly, we see his availability. He's eternal, and he'll be our God even unto death. What, what more could we desire? As the redeemed. What more could we desire? God is a great refuge. Uh, God is the great troubler of the enemy. He is the foundation upon which we uh, stand. He is the great guide of the godly. And the psalmist would say, sing praises unto his holy name. Because he's worthy of all praise. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful devotion, this opportunity to just think on the goodness of God, uh, to consider the righteousness of God, to see him as holy and dependable, our refuge, our rock, our defender. Lord, I pray you'd be with us as we go into our prayer time. Father, I pray you'd be with us over these next several days. The, the families that will um, say goodbye to their loved one or the father for the moment. Lord, I pray you'd give them grace and mercy and help us to accomplish the work that you've given us to do, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.